This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Scott Holden, CMO of ThoughtSpot, a company focused on disrupting the business intelligence industry with search-driven analytics. On this episode, Scott discusses how marketers can be more data-driven, gives advice on how to use real-time insights, shares his favorite campaign, and more. It's a great episode for any marketer thinking about how they can better use data and analytics with their team. A big thank you to Scott for coming on the show. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we have in studio. Scott, what's going on? Thanks for having me. It's going to be a raucous episode for our listeners. I'm super excited to talk to you. You have had an interesting career with a number of years at Salesforce and a number of years at ThoughtSpot. I'm so excited to talk to you about all the amazing stuff that you're working on at ThoughtSpot and get into a little bit of your career. But first, how did you get into marketing? It's a good story. Uh, Marketing is actually my third career. I started out as an investment banker. So I did mergers and acquisitions for JP Morgan for a bunch of years and decided that while I liked the math, uh, I wanted to learn how to be an operator. And so I went to Walmart and I worked in walmart.com where I was hired as an analyst to study the logistics division and eventually ended up running that group. And when I was doing that, I built some software and I decided that the software building was pretty fun. And marketing that inside the company and selling my ideas was something I just took to. And as a, as a result, I decided that I wanted to try and get into product management or product marketing. And so thinking that most of the industry here in Silicon Valley probably wouldn't take me uh, as a product marketer with no good background, I went back to business school and was one of those guys that actually wrote my essays about going to join a company like Salesforce That's and do so product funny. marketing. And then <laughs> I, uh, I'm one of those rare people that did it, came out, went to Salesforce and did, you know, almost eight years at Salesforce. So that's where it all began. And you said you started at Salesforce when it was like 1,500 employees? Yeah. So I had an amazing run at Salesforce, 1,500 employees. When I left, it was close to 20,000. And so, you know, like, I don't know, 150 million in revenue to almost 10 billion. So heck of a ride, saw a ton of change, learned a ton. I mean, there was, you know, I, I ran marketing for a variety of different product lines, the sales product, their chatter collaboration product, the last couple of years doing uh, custom app dev with their platform business. I mean, I started off working on the keynote slides for Benioff. And so <laughs> I, you know, there really wasn't anything I didn't do. And it was just an amazing way to get introduced to a world-class marketing company. I mean, it really, you know, obviously they're the amazing sponsor of the show, but also, I mean, so many leaders that we've had on the show uh, in technology in the Bay Area came from there. You know, we've had Sarah Varney on the show. We've had all sorts of different folks. But, you know, it's really interesting as someone who kind of grew up in a company, you know, really cut your marketing teeth there. Was there some opportunity that you were looking for and then found in ThoughtSpot or how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, you know, well, I had done so many different things at Salesforce and was kind of in a position where either I was going to, you know, chase the CMO job at Salesforce or do something different, maybe become a GM. And like a lot of people here in the Valley, I just had the itch to go do the true startup thing. And I had a little bit more marketing doing in me. Like I didn't want to just become the big you know, GM of yeah. a huge multi-thousand person company. I really wanted to kind of hone my craft and bring it to us to a small startup. And being analytically oriented from my background, I was always drawn to the analytics market. 
you know, I probably spent nine months meeting companies and saw that, you know, not all startups are created equal. And I just kind of fell in love with the mission of ThoughtSpot and what we're doing for, you know, making analytics more accessible to the average business person. And so I, I kind of fell in love with that. And I thought that they were doing things totally different. And it was a way for me to kind of come in as the CMO and make a mark and, you know, build a category. I love that you kind of chose the right thing for you. I think that's a lot of times what, you know, when we talked to Tim, I was like, yeah, that wasn't the great, that wasn't the great one. Um, or maybe I shouldn't have taken that role, but I learned a ton. It's kind of like, don't really believe in the mission, not passionate about the product. You seem extremely passionate about analytics, about making data accessible. And, you know, your company does that in spades. Can you talk about like this category of search and AI-driven analytics, like why this is important? Yeah, and I, you know, the, my, the way I looked at it is that my background, I started out in product marketing. And so that tends to be the role where people get into storytelling. And where mm-hmm. the real, you know, the differentiation, the, the message of the company is where most tech companies start. And for me, I find it really hard to fake your interest in that. And yeah. so when I went out looking for companies to, to market, I had to be passionate about what they did. And if I wasn't, I knew I was going to be a phony in the chair. So it helped that I just immediately was just drawn to it. And here I am almost five years in at ThoughtSpot and I remain as excited today as I was when I joined. And it's in part because I have an interest in the the general world of analytics, but it's also just because analytics can be used by any person in any industry, in any department. And so- And it needs to be. And it, it needs to be, and it should be. But the the thing that makes that cool is that if you get into the startup game, it's really hard to just jump in and jump out. You know, you're kind of in it to, to build value over the long haul. And so- when I was looking at where to go, I was like, I got to be engaged in a company for a number of years. And so it better be something that's one, sophisticated technology that doesn't bore me out of the gates. And two, it's got to deliver a lot of value for a lot of different people. And when you think about all the different use cases and messages and ways that analytics can be consumed, you know, I'll I'll say this for it. I am definitely not bored. I'm five years in and (laughs) it keeps me uh, busy and challenged every step of the way. So you wrote this great post called Seven Secrets of Data-Driven Success, uh, which we'll link up in the show notes. And it's basically about what CDOs should know about data-driven marketers. I think the vast majority of our listeners either want to be data-driven marketers, it's like only two types of marketers. There's data-driven marketers and people who uh, should be data-driven marketers, right? I think a lot of people want to figure that out. Even if they're in brand, we get, you know, feedback from listeners about this all the time. You know, kind of why'd you write this article and what was what was the reason why you thought it needed to be said? Yeah, well, I've always been, you know, data-driven and it kind of comes naturally from my background. And I think depending on your upbringing, it may not be as natural for you. And when it comes to marketing, there's, you know, absolutely a smashing of the left brain and the right brain that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. You've got all these creative folks, but... We're now deploying marketing, creative campaigns and all these different channels. There's so much to measure, it's overwhelming. And so there's a massive opportunity to look at the data and combine that with your creative and figure out what's working and what's not. And I mean, every marketer will tell you that's the holy grail. One of the things that I see just in general with marketing, but particularly when it comes to marketing plus data, is that doing that requires really being savvy and getting into the details and putting in the work. And when it comes to that, unfortunately, in the world of analytics, it's just pretty darn hard. I mean, if you look at most of the analytics products out there, they're not designed for marketers. They're designed for business analysts, for data analysts. And so the situation that exists in the world, not just for marketers, but any business person, is that whenever you've got a question about data, You've got to go to a gatekeeper. You've got to go to the data analyst to say, hey, can you help me get this answer to my question? And that's what we're doing at ThoughtSpot. We're really kind of trying to destroy that whole dependency between, you you think of it as two classes of citizens. You've got the creators on one side and the consumers on the other. Our whole hypothesis is why can't everybody be a creator of their own insights? And if you could do that, it opens up this whole new world of possibilities for put the mind of a marketer in the driver's seat of, an anal- of the analytics 
you can just get to insights that you wouldn't have possible if you had this gatekeeper dynamic where it can often take days or weeks to get an insight from uh, a data analyst. Yeah, and and I'll go through the seven secrets here for the listeners. Uh, take it personally, run from training, know your data, demand speed, respect your data analyst, understand your costs, and build a data-driven culture. And the reason why I want to say kind of those, I highly recommend people check out the article, is I want to know from you, like, of these seven things, like, are these conversations happening between the CDO and the CMO? Are they not happening? Like, should our listeners, you know, request the meeting with the CDO and say like, hey, here's what other companies are doing that we might want to look at doing? Like, how should they kind of structure to make smarter data-driven decisions and to like take those seven things into consideration? What are the conversations that they should be having with the data team? Well, what, one of the things that we see is that traditionally data teams have been, you know, treated as the gatekeepers of all this information. And oftentimes what that means is that you ask for a report, the next day I come along, I ask for the same thing, but slightly different. And they spend most of their time doing basically menial work where, hey, I want to add a column. I want to change this chart type from yeah. a pie chart to a bar chart. And it's, it's not intellectually stimulating. It's not things that they want to be doing. And so our whole thesis is that we want to give the power to the business person to let them ask their own questions. And the, the magic that happens there, like think about, think about what life's like with Google today. And like, I'm sure like you, like me, you go on these crazy adventures on the internet where you've got a question in your head, you go to Google, you type a couple characters, you get an answer and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Now they know that I'm going to ask a different question. Yeah. Go, and you kind of go down this rabbit hole of the internet, whether it's on Wikipedia or Google. And like, next thing you know, you've become kind of a pseudo expert. My daughter the other day started asking me uh, about sharks. <laughs> Next thing you know, she's like, she's like, daddy, do, do sharks eat orcas? And right there on my phone, I'm like, well, well let's, let's Google it. I have no idea. And so, you know, orcas versus sharks. And next thing you know, you find out that actually some orcas do attack sharks. And if you think about well, what- Did you know also that, so not only do they eat sharks, do you know that an orca has never in recorded history eaten a human being? Really? Yes. This I have not crazy. watched that uh, that that documentary that that painted things out to be pretty bleak, but it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, they're like because I was I was like you know because they do like they eat whales and all this sort of stuff. We had a huge argument with my family recently about whether or not orcas are whales, and I was like, no, they're dolphins. They're from the family like Dolphinae or whatever it is. And anyways, the, the, to your point, there's the rabbit hole is real. But think about what that was like, you know, before the internet. You know, you're sitting on the couch with your your kids and my in my case my daughter but why don't you run upstairs to the encyclopedia flip through yeah. an index find a bunch of stuff like you're not going to do it and that's the world that data people are in right now like if you as a marketer have a question it's the equivalent of, say, of the analyst saying give me a couple of days i'm going to go run to the encyclopedia look for an answer come back to you and guess what happens when you've got that dynamic you condition people not to ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if I know it's going to take you four days to get back to me, I'm going to just move and get on to the next thing. And so there's this, you know, really interesting thing that you basically, we, we like to call it the curiosity tax. Mm -hmm. There's this tax on being curious. Yeah. And as business people, especially marketers, we've got all this data. We just, we know it's there, but we have a, a hard time accessing it. And most of the time, what we see is that companies will have a dashboard of, you know, here's how my pipeline's doing. Here's my leads. Here's my website. Great. But where the magic is, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, is that marketers are running hundreds, thousands of campaigns at a time yeah. across all these different channels, all this different creative, all these different personas. And you, the real insights are in the details. Like you want to be able to say, you know, how did that campaign in that channel do with this demographic yesterday? Yeah. And that's not going to be in the, in the weekly summary at the category level of how you know, how your Google ad spend did. It's just not there. And so if you want to get into the details, it, it requires you, you kind of drilling in. And that's the beauty of search and, you know, our AI platform where you can actually, as the business person, get lost. You can go on that adventure and let, let your curiosity lead you to an insight that you wouldn't have normally found in the old world. I think, you know, with the kind of proliferation of business intelligence and BI products, some of the promises that are made. Do you ever kind of feel like there's, you know, there was a sweet spot in time where things kind of finally got better, like finally got more actionable? Because I, 
you know, I'm curious if you think that BI tools are finally at the point where I'm getting real insights, taking real impact in a place that we weren't there maybe five years ago. Absolutely. I mean, I, so I, I use my own product every day. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it thoughts about, we, we've tend to focused on the, you know, the global 2000s. So we sold a lot of the world's biggest companies yeah. anywhere. There's a lot of data and a lot of people that need access to it is kind of the sweet spot for us. Um, and so I, I use it every day and, and everyone on my team uses it every day. Yeah. And you start to see people that weren't normally data people coming to you saying, you know, I know you think that campaign is good. Maybe that drove a bunch of MQLs, but I was looking down funnel and that thing's just not converting at stage three and stage four, let alone close business. And that's when you're like, yes, you know, like (laughs) when I met you, that sentence would have never come out of your mouth. And now that you're using this technology, you're digging in, you're finding those insights and you're becoming a smarter marketer as a result. And so I think the combination of both the user interface, so like simple things like search or better yet, you know, we have this product spot IQ that generates the insights for you. So it uses AI to mine all your data and basically answer the questions you might not have thought to ask, Mm -hmm. but that you should have asked and to serve that up to you. And when you combine those interfaces along with the increased compute power and processing power of in-memory computing engines, all of a sudden you take the constraint of speed, you pair it with the user interface that we all expect from our consumer lives now, and the magic happens. Do you feel like there's a point where the left-right brain meld here goes too far one way? Uh, you lose the art, you're all science. You know, is it possible to be too data-driven? You know, Eric Reese famously said, um, author of Lean Startup was like, you know, if you, uh, you'll split test yourself or your A-B test yourself, you know, with ads on the internet to, you know, people wearing uh, low-cut shirts and, uh, you know, lacking underwear. Um, Kittens everywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to, sure. Um, Yeah, puppy photos. Yeah, is it possible that kind of like we A-B test ourselves into oblivion here a little bit? Absolutely. And, you know, I, we fortunately, we're a company that sells primarily to the large enterprise. And so it's a little bit different than if you're selling to the SMB market or your B2C company where, you know, every little micro thing gets measured and where there's a temptation to A-B test and to just follow the breadcrumbs of like what's testing well. I think that's really a slippery slope because I think the most important thing that that matters today is the story and the narrative and the mission of the companies that we're all behind. And if that gets lost because you're moving pixels around or because some A-B test says people want to see kittens or, you know, some message that is obscure, like lots of times the things that you think are going to do well, don't do well. And it's okay making those tweaks as long as you're not losing the, you know, the clarity and the cohesion of the story that you're trying to tell. So what's an example of, you know, like one of your customers or somebody like that, that kind of figured out some insights that they wouldn't normally have had? Well, the big thing that we're seeing across the board is that in the past, people have had to look at summaries. So most companies, if you talk to any executive, it's like, yeah, every Monday morning, I get my email of my dashboard or I log in, I have this kind of ritual of like looking the data at the data once a week. And occasionally if I don't see something or a question comes up, I begin this painful process of going to the analyst to get something custom built. And so most of our customers, the real value that they're seeing is that they're getting a level of granular insights in a way that they've never gotten. So take, you know, we work with, you know, we work with Walmart. And so they're one of the biggest retailers in the world. And They've got thousands of SKUs all over the world and they want to understand not just how, how, how did that store do or how did this region do or how did one product do? They want to understand how is that product in that store doing with this demographic at this time? Yeah. And to get to that insight, like the summaries just don't cut it. And what you might look for as a merchant today may be totally different than what I'm looking at. And they want to be able to power this so that they can do their inventory planning and they can do their markdowns at the shelf level. Yep. Like, you know, this product is off flying off the shelves here, but it's not flying off the shelves over here. And if you don't have that ability to drill into the details, both through the uh, user experience that matters or through the compute power, I mean, the ugly truth of the BI world is that these products have historically been ridiculously slow. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a dirty secret because people don't know it can be any better. They're used to like trying to, 
change a filter on a dashboard and waiting 15 seconds. Like if you waited 15 seconds for an answer at Google, like you would not be using it. Yeah. And yet we've been conditioned to do that in, you know, our BI lives, analytics lives. And so what you see is um, that's one thing as well as if you want to do something custom, oftentimes like, you know, I, I've worked with customers that like I will come in in the morning, run a query at breakfast and come back at lunch to see if it's finished. And that waiting game just just kills your flow. And as a marketer, if you're trying to figure something out, like if you don't get the answer quickly, like you're off to the next campaign, you're off to the next meeting, you know, we're doing a million things a minute. And so that kind of gate becomes a huge inhibitor. Well, and and I want to talk about this impact on real-time insights, right? Like that's part of this. So, you know, like when we had Tom Buta from SignalFX, you know, they do real-time monitoring. You know, he's talking about if you do a fly, like Footlock or whoever it is, does a flash sale, and it's five minutes and you sell, you know, whatever, 70,000 shoes in five minutes, for example, I'm making this up. Like you don't have time to know those things, right? Like you can't say right. like, I'll show me the, show me my dashboard next week, right? So this idea of being real time for the marketer to know, like, I don't need to know how we're doing next week. Like I need to know right now what's happening. And then conversely, if things are not going great, I need to in real time, reach back out to our customers or our prospects or whatever, and give them feedback immediately, like with marketing automation or whatever it is. Like those are the type of insights where you can actually take action rather than just kind of like sit on your hands. I mean, we work with, um, you know, we work with a number of big media companies and in media, like one of our customers is, uh, you know, they make movies and TV shows Yeah, and they do it online. And they want to know what shows have led to the most repeat traction yep. that are the best preventers of churn. And they want to know that like down to the minute, like how did the episode do last night with this demographic? What has that led to? And they're looking at cohorts, like how long have people lasted if they came in at, uh, they began their history with us with this show or with this show, with this demographic. I mean, the combinations are endless. And if you don't have a product that lets people explore and experiment freely, then you're going to leave a lot of value on the table. And so whether it's, you know, media companies, we've got telecom companies trying to analyze cell phone plans and, you know, how people are, you know, churn and subscription renewal rates. We've got financial companies looking at uh, how to understand how cross-sell and upsell, and they're getting down to those very specific details of this demographic in this branch doing this thing. And historically, like that hasn't been possible. And if if I apply it actually to marketers, you know, you think about how many different campaigns and, and combinations of campaigns that we're running. You want to know like how did this email campaign do with this product during this time of year, and you want to be able to drill into it right away by you know typing a couple of things like campaign name last week, demographic, and with three words you should be able to get an insight. And crazy as it may sound. That hasn't been possible until today. And so that's the thing that, you know, we're just, we're seeing people uh, just come to life when they get a chance to play with this. It's sort of, you know, it turns people into kids with their data because they can actually freeform explore it in a way they've never been able to do it before. Do you think that there's some amount of reluctance on behalf of folks when they have this kind of level of, of insight to figure out okay, well, if we're going to spend this much time on customer experience, for example, like post-sale, right? Maybe there's some amount of reluctance to kind of this thought process of like, well, if we're diving that deep into this, um, and I know this is silly, but like we're diving this deep into our customer experience and now we're getting like crazy insights from how people are using the product, how when people are dropping off, when people are doing all these things, that that is just potentially like a ticking time bomb for a CMO who's like, hey, if we know this, I mean, obviously we need to self-diagnose. So maybe it's just a silly question, but. I mean, there's definitely, I can see the hesitation where with all this data, everything becomes a lot more transparent. Yeah. And one of the challenges as marketers is that, you know, we know that some of the things that we do don't work. And sometimes those campaigns that don't work are expensive. And so shining a light on that can be a little bit of a scary proposition. And that's one of the biggest challenges I think marketers have is that 
a lot of what we do is hard to explain and it's complicated and it's done at big scale. And if you don't, you know, if you're on the finance team and you don't have a good appreciation for all of the kind of hits and misses of a marketing team and you see some campaign that's a total bust and you don't have the context, you're going to be like, hey, what's going on with these guys? It looks like they're wasting a lot of money. Yeah. And so I think that's a risk, but I think that's the new world that we live in where, you know, whether it's kind of how we do our jobs or how we lead, you have to get comfortable being more transparent. You have to put the numbers out there and it's better off to kind of start talking about it early rather than, you know, hide it and wait for the big bang to come later on. Switching gears towards some of those campaigns we were talking about, do you have a favorite campaign that you've, or a couple favorite campaigns that you've done in your career that were really like B2B smash hits? Well, I'll give, I'll give a couple of examples. Some of the best campaigns that I've done have been competitive campaigns and they're Ooh. just, they're always fun. And I, you know, I've got one good example from my Salesforce days and, and a similar example uh, from my time here at ThoughtSpot. But when you kind of go after a bigger, more established competitor, you have the right as a, an upstart to, to poke the bear a little bit. Sure. And, uh, you know, there's a famous story at Salesforce about, you know, us going after Oracle and, you know, kind of getting kicked out of open world. But one of the things we did actually was- Lauren told that story. Lauren and Nate, we, we had them on, gosh, that was like, 50 episodes ago, they, they told the, the like boycotting open world story. So funny. Like, and, and that get, you know, it just gets a lot of press, particularly if you're yeah. kind of punching above your weight. So one of the things that we did was we, um, we just launched a campaign. This is, you know, years ago now, this is probably a decade ago against Microsoft and it was above board. It was polite, but it was, you know, why Salesforce is better. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, we went through this whole argument and this value prop and, it was one of my favorites in that one, it was really helpful from a sales enablement perspective. It was really effective, but you know, you're winning when you get the cease and desist letter from the bigger company. No way. <laughs> telling you to, 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 to knock it off. And that happened both at Salesforce and then happened at ThoughtSpot recently where we were, you know, we were doing a similar thing where we were going after a bigger competitor and being provocative with our messaging. And oftentimes they don't like to be poked that way. And it, you know, it kind of, when you get the note from the lawyers, on the one hand, you might get nervous. On the other hand, it's kind of time for high fives because it means you've actually made a mark and that you're kind of making a dent in the market. So those have been a, a couple of good campaigns on that front. And then the other example that I'll probably give is, I'll give an example of an early campaign I ran at ThoughtSpot, which is in the early days, we did something that at Salesforce and kind of I would have cringed at. But as a startup, you have to try creative things. And we decided to give a, a way of, free set of Bose headphones if you were willing to take a demo with us. And we restricted it to senior VPs of, of BI or CDOs. And so we tried to kind of target it. And the interesting thing about that campaign is that it feels cheap. It feels like you're buying leads or it feels like you're buying interest. And a lot of the salespeople... Which is silly that we, by the way, to be fair, it's silly that we would even feel that way as if we're not buying leads. Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're purists, right? We want, we want to say like, oh, it was the beautiful video that we no, created. Totally. It was I'm the messaging. You. It was this um, awesome creative. And it, so in some ways it's short-circuiting it. But when you've got, I think when I launched that campaign, we had a four-person marketing team. Like we were looking for any oh, edge wow. we could get. And the thing that happened about it is that it drove a ton of leads and it drove highly qualified leads. And it turns out it drove a lot of pipeline and ultimately ended up driving a lot of closed business. But- the thing that was wild about it is that the salespeople didn't like it. And the reason why is that there's just this negative bias that tends to happen, which is that if you're a salesperson and you get, you know, your SDR invites you to a meeting with somebody who's been given a free set of headphones to take it, there's a good probability that every now and then there's going to be a tire kicker that's just in it for the headphones. Mm -hmm. And if you're a highly paid salesperson and you get on that call and you you're like, oh man, this person's just here for the headphones and what a waste. And it, it leaves a emotional mark on you that can make your perspective of that campaign be negative. And now this is where data comes in because I was able to show them. I had a number of salespeople come to me and say, I'm not sure about this campaign. It feels like we're kind of being cheap here. Like, what are we doing? 
I was like, well, listen, I felt that way too, but let me show you some numbers. And, and I was like, yeah, but so-and-so over there said that, you know, they're getting a bunch of bad things. Well, let's pull up his numbers. And this is the benefit of having, you know, data at your fingertips where you can say, well, I'll show you how many leads and how many meetings. And then, oh, by the way, that person that says they don't like this campaign, three of the deals that they closed last month came from it. And so having that data at your fingertips is a good way to kind of counterbalance you know, those emotional feelings that we tend to have with tend to trump data. And that's just what I think the beauty of where, you know, marketing, particularly marketing analytics is starting to kind of be a, a voice of reason in those conversations. And I think that like sales reps like that, like they're going to be loud and they're going to let everyone at the sales kickoff know. And it's really easy to point to it. Like it's really easy to go, look at marketing, like buying these effing headphones. You know what I mean? Like it's, you have to be a realist. And I think a lot of marketers, I think potentially may have never, you know, sold or been around sales that kind of refuse to the realist aspect of this or of those folks who haven't done that, where it's like, yeah, these are the conversations that are happening. They're happening whether you like it or not. Absolutely. So you should lean in and just be like, Hey, I know you all think this might be stupid, but let me just tell you. And like, you know, break eggs, to make an omelet, right? Like, they're, they're not all going to be winners. And like, you know what? Somebody wearing our headphones or like, you know, cruising around in our swag, like that's things still getting impressions. So, you know, at the end of the day, like it ain't the worst thing in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's uh, those types of things end up being, you know, they, the data can give you a reason to show empathy for the other side. And I think that's a big challenge that marketers have is ha like building that empathy with the sales organization. And I was like, hey, I hear you. I feel the same way. Yeah. But like, let's look at it and let's look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. And if it's, if it's not working, I'll be the first one to kill it alongside you. So when you do have those wins, how do you celebrate as a team? You know, marketers love to celebrate wins. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's like, it's almost just like a, a given. I think we're actually pretty good at it. You know, marketers probably take a little bit of flack for, being too good at throwing parties. So, um, you know, it's important. I think marketing teams tend to celebrate things amongst themselves. And one of the things that I really pride myself in is I love getting kudos from the sales team. I mean, I, <laughs> I always look at marketers. Number one job is creating pipeline for sales yeah. and particularly in the B2B world. And so I always look at pipeline creation as that's what pays the bills. Like you can you can try to throw the greatest party in the world, but if you don't have the electric electricity humming, it's not going to be a good party. Yep. And so I always kind of take that approach and look at it. If, if you're creating pipeline, if you're keeping the sales team fed, it buys you the right to do the cool stuff. And if you're not, you got a big problem on your hands. And so I love it when I get feedback from the, the things I celebrate most. And, and a lot of times it's kind of like a little fist pump on the inside is when the salespeople are like, hey, you know, you're doing a good job. Like, I feel supported. I feel like marketing actually gets it. It's amazing how much, given a lot of the history that us marketers have, when a sales team says, you know, I like the marketing team because they get it, that goes a long way. And so my, I think my team loves those kind of attaboy girls more than anything. And, you know, everybody else is looking at the data. When you hit your numbers, it feels good. And that's one of the things that we now have thanks to analytics in marketing, marketing has always been viewed as a little fluffy, but now we've got targets just like sales and we can point to them and we can say, hey, we, we hit our numbers and here's, here's how we set it up. I think it's important to go to the entire company and say, here's how we want to be measured. Here's what we think is fair. Do you agree? This is a framework that we'll, we'll walk through with you. And then when you hit it, you have the right to kind of take a lap and say, you know, look what we did. And so that, that always feels good. We talked before this, a little bit about like kind of same pageism and how a lot of CMOs struggle to get their business partners on the same page. What do you think are some best practices around um, kind of putting your arms around those folks, whether it's your sales leader, whether it's your CEO, whether it's your board that can kind of really move the needle and like get you the, uh, the credibility? I mean, fortunately, I think marketers are good at this uh, or they should be good at this, which is explaining things. I mean, I think <laughs> at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're always trying to educate people. The best kind of marketing is when people don't feel like they're being sold to, they feel like they're being educated. And when it comes to salespeople, when it comes to the CEO, it's really important to, to break it down. I, you know, I don't, I think people are overwhelmed and confused by how complex marketing's become. Yeah. And so I really look at 
it is my job to try and break it down in simple terms and explain to people how to measure me and how to measure my team. And so if you, if you do that the right way, then I think it makes your relationship, whether it's with your head of sales, whether it's your head of finance or with your CEO, a lot smoother than if they don't know. Because, you know, like I, it's just human nature in the absence of a framework or in the absence of information or communication, people just assume you're not doing your job. You know, you've done a great job creating a category, you know, over the, over the years that you've been there. Are there any like kind of like tidbits or best practices that you've kind of seen about, about doing this? Yeah. And it's, um, it's something, one of the things that I've had to fight that I think is a temptation for most marketers is changing the message. And if you're creating a category, yeah, you have to be consistent. Yep. And you know, good messaging, good positioning is about clarity. It's about consistency and about fidelity of message. And there's a temptation to ride the hot new thing. Like, oh, there's some new trend. Like, well, let's just start marketing that. And I, I can't tell you the number of times where I go to a company's website and I see that their homepage is some new campaign, some new angle they're trying to take. And I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I don't know what the, the product does. I don't know the core value prop. And so one of the things that I've been really adamant about is that, you know, over the last four and a half years at ThoughtSpot, if you went to our homepage, you're going to see the same message, which is search and AI driven analytics. And I've been, you know, we augment that in a lot of different ways with different benefit-based persona campaigns, but the core value prop of the company, like we have not been afraid to just say, this is who we are. And now fortunately we've been, as we've created this category and other larger companies have started to copy us and introduce me to products, we've created this mantle and people know us for it. And when other companies, bigger players now start saying, oh, don't worry, we do that too. Or here's this new thing that we've got. It just adds to our mission because they're validating what we've been saying for the last, you know, almost five years. So that's been something that I think is a little counterintuitive. I think people have this tendency to want to see something fresh. There's plenty of opportunities to do, you know, fresh messaging in different ad channels, but for your core message, like, don't be afraid to lean into that and keep that constant. Is there any like techniques that you've seen to shepherd senior leaders away from kind of like the shiny new object messaging or things like that? Well, it's interesting. We had, um, you know, we just went through a positioning exercise at ThoughtSpot and I've been pretty confident in our, in our message, you know, all along. I like to think I, I know what I'm doing, but we had, um, we just got an amazing new CEO who joined us and he came from a totally different industry, you know, visionary, phenomenal leader. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a great, that's a perfect example. Cause you're talking about like, you know, you're hitting the tear button on the organization in terms of just like, Hey, new person in, you know, let's take a look. Yeah. And, and we had our search and ad driven analytics message, our category, and he was like, is this, is this it? Is this really it? Like, is this the message that we should, like, I don't know. I, I don't know you. I'm like, I, I want to trust you. You seem like a great guy, but how do I know? Yeah. And I kind of looked at it and my first thought was like, yeah, trust me, man. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And then, you know, he, he was like, should we be working with a, a messaging company? And I, I thought about it for a second and uh, they were expensive. I was like, I'm not really sure it's going to change anything. And, you know, I sat on it. I think it's important as you progress in your career to when people suggest things, it's like, it's quickly, you know, it's easy for people to be defensive. And I was like, I don't know, I'm not going to take this personally. Let me think about it for a second. And I ultimately came to the decision to do it. And I was like, you know, let's bring them in. And the beauty of it is I, I sort of looked like, I looked at it like paying the trainer. I wanted to bring the trainer into the organization because I knew that if I brought in a third party, one, it would validate probably a lot of what we've already done, but by paying an expensive agency to come in and kind of go through the process with us, where one of their requirements is like, we need the entire leadership team bought in. I knew that it would get people in a room and that they'd have empathy for what my team had already done. And they would be brought along on the journey. And we definitely improved it. We tweaked it a little bit. The core kind of category has remained the same, but we saw a lot of value. But the biggest value is that everybody, and it was a multi-month process, yeah. Everybody left that process feeling great about the message yep. and feeling great about kind of how our marketing team went through it, how we embellished it. Everybody had their voice heard. And so now instead of having people say, you know, have someone say, what, what do you guys do? And like, 
Why is that? And have and run the risk of someone saying, I don't know, that's just something the marketing team came up totally. with. Totally. They now are like, no, that's our message. I'm like, it's it's absolutely it. And I'm bought in and I'm going to back it up. And that's that's just huge across the company for both, you know, the fidelity of message internally, but like the rest of the market feels that when everybody's committed to it. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. And it also gives you that, you know, one source of truth that, you know, maybe you bring in a new, maybe you promote someone to the you know, what some CXO position that's, or they come in from outside of the company, you know, and down the line, Hey, like, if you're wondering why our messaging is the way it is, check out this gigantic thing that we did that all these leaders bought in on that, like, you can check it out. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, a lot of the C-suite doesn't have a good appreciation for marketing. They've, they've often, you know, they haven't done it. They, they, it feels complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. If you have an opportunity to bring them along and like, teach them how to have empathy for what you do It's take it all day long. It's a huge win. All right, let's get into lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing automation in the world's number one CRM. We love Salesforce. We love Pardot. You love Salesforce. You were there forever. <laughs> um, so everyone should check it out. These questions are lightning fast. Scott, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, but you know these because you've listened to the show, but so I, I got a mix of that. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? I'm using probably all the ones that everybody uses, but I will cop to one app that I use uh, an embarrassing amount, which is Redfin. Mm. And so it's a great app. I'm it's with a, you. It's a killer app. And I, you know, I bought a house, I don't know, probably six years, six, seven years ago. And I used it to shop and buy from my, buy my home. And what shocks me is that I'm still shopping for homes, even though I'm not shopping for homes. Totally. And I'm so I, addictive. It's sort of like, um, you know, I don't know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. I'm just perusing how other people live. And I don't know if it makes me feel like I'm more connected to the city I live in, in San Francisco, but um, yeah, I love it. And I find just perusing through new homes in the market is something fun. If you buy Six or seven years ago, you're doing great. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I bought four years ago in Oakland and I can tell you like, it's just, it's unreal. Do you have a favorite ad campaign that you've seen recently that you're envious of? Gosh. Oh, uh, lots. Um, well, first of all, given that our enterprise focus, you know, I'm envious of any company that's doing billboard ads because it doesn't really make sense for our business yet. And it's yeah. so fun. And so Anytime I see something up on the 101, I'm like, gosh, I wish we could do that. I know. But aside from that, you know, that the ad that I saw recently, I just, I love humor. Yeah. And in enterprise software, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. And so that's always the thing that I would love to bring more of into the world of B2B marketing. But I just saw one of these aviation gin ads mm. on YouTube so Ryan Reynolds of, yeah. of Deadpool fame yeah, yeah. just bought a gin company. I don't know if he's- Oh, I have seen If this. he's buddies with George Clooney and his tequila company. Yeah. But it is hilarious. And, you know, I don't know. It's funny. I don't know if Deadpool is Ryan Reynolds or Ryan Reynolds Deadpool at this point, but he's just got an amazing persona that he sort of brings into these ads. And he goes off on these tangents about the freshness of the juniper berries and the- people who pick them with uh, tweezers out of the fields with love. And, you know, it's, it's a hoot and he's got a few of these now. And every time they come out, I, it, it, I crack up and um, it's inspiring. I want to see if we can bring some of that love into the B2B space. You should check out dial pads ads that we just had Keith Messick on and uh, their CMO and their stuff. He's hilarious. Keith is hilarious. Dial pad stuff is freaking hilarious. I'll they have some like super funny stuff. What about one thing you wish you had known when you first became CMO? I think a lot of the things that I've learned, I suspected and have played out in spades. And so, and even more so than I, than I thought. I mean, one of the, one of the things is the leadership's lonely. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that is, um, you know, as you're rising up to your career, you've got this just natural peer group, you know, whether it's at Salesforce, I had all these 
you know, brothers and sisters who ran different product lines. And they were just an amazing group of people to bounce ideas off of. And yeah. also like look to for inspiration and ideas and benchmark yourself for how you're doing. And you get to the C-suite as the head of marketing and you look around and like, there's nobody there. Um, and there's not a lot of empathy for what you do because a lot of them have never done it. And so that's, I, I knew that, but I hadn't experienced it quite to that degree. And so, you know, making sure that you stay in touch with those friends of yours. I've, you know, the Salesforce mafia now is, is crazy yeah. strong. So I don't really have that challenge. I do, I do have the challenge of making time. Uh, and so I'd encourage people to like, think about that, make sure that, you know, you keep those networks there for yourself, because when you take on the CMO seat, you're going to need that support because it's not always there inside the four walls of your company. What about favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Ooh, gosh. I, well, I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple. On the learning side, I just read the book, Why We Sleep. Mm. And um, we did sleep week at the mission. We did a whole week in for Mission Daily about sleep. It's freaking fascinating. It's, uh, you know, I don't read fiction generally. And so I read a lot of nonfiction stuff. And uh, it's funny, you know, as we've all heard like, hey, you need to get, you know, seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And, you know, as a data person, the beauty of that book is that it just gives you study after study mm -hmm. after study about why sleep is so important. And for whatever reason, that book just drove it home for me. And so it's probably, you know, I used to be like, ah, I can get by with six hours of sleep, no problem. And so it's probably added 30 to 45 minutes of sleep to my regimen that I wasn't getting before. And especially if you're trying to do creative work. Yes. It's, I, I find it makes a huge difference. And so that's been, that's been a, a game changer literally for me. So I'd, I highly recommend that book. Yeah, I do. I, I do like minimum eight hours because it's like, I want to be, when I am awake, I want to be engaged and I don't want to be, you know, super tired from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. every day or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like it's a gift. I've like, I've now told all of my closest friends about that and they are coming back to me and saying, oh my God, like, thank you. Like a lot of like stubborn, hard charging executives don't want to admit it. And like, they, and like, they're like, no, no, I can get by. Like I'm, no. I'm, I'm different. I'm tough. And like, they're like, holy cow, that book changed my mind. It's, it's totally true. Last night I was up until 4.30 AM because I was on kind of like a creative thing because we're working on some really cool podcasts coming up. And it's like you fall into the trap every single time of thinking like, I got to go to bed because I got to wake up, you know, early. Once you get out of the trap of like, unless you have meetings or something like that, I can sleep in until noon tomorrow. I'm an executive at a company. I can do what I want. Therefore, why do I need to do that? If I'm jamming, I'm jamming. And like, we have a very purposeful, like creative workflow at, cause we're a media company, but like you have to like inspiration, you know, strikes you don't have. And I mean, I know there's a million other things that go on, but it's just more of the mindset of like, am I doing this thing because I'm supposed to, cause someone made up a rule that, you know, whatever. So it turns out there's a lot of science behind that. So check it out. Favorite one day getaway in the Bay area. I mean, I love Napa, Sonoma, Napa, anywhere up there where it's warm, escape the fog, hanging out by a pool. It's a little bit of your favorite wine. Does it for me. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I wasn't paying attention enough on these lightning rounds. <laughs> I think the, the thing that's on my mind a lot these days is how to lead. And, you know, I know there's a lot of kind of research coming out but there's a real changing of the way people lead teams now. It used to be very command and control. Yeah. I think that just totally changed. And I wish people were asking and talking more about how to do that because I think it's an art and it's, you know, it's, um, you know, it's been described as sort of servant leadership. Yeah. And there's a, a real movement afoot that I don't think is, intuitive and hasn't been taught to a lot of large degree. And so that's something that I wish there was more conversation around that and more education around that. And I, I think it's so powerful. And so I wish there was just more of a dialogue and questions being asked around that and how to get better at it. Part of the reason I was up until 4.30 last night is because I was like retooling my leadership philosophy. And I like promised myself like four years, like pretty much when we started the mission, I was like, you were going to have your leadership philosophy on your LinkedIn so that anyone who wants to work at the company can just go check it out. And I've like, haven't done that, of course, sitting on a Google doc, 
because you know in creative world you're always scared to publish everything but yeah no it's one of those things like if you're an executive at a company like you should have a leadership philosophy that is published publicly like why would you not and it's like one of those common sense things that like i don't know why we don't just hold each other accountable and just be like you know just do it but it's like for some reason that's scary and it's weird yeah and and it's it's changing a lot and i think if you're not on the bleeding edge of kind of what's fresh in this new movement around humility, then you're going to not attract the top talent going forward. And so that's a, that's a thing I spent a lot of time thinking about and a lot of time wrestling with because it's, there aren't a lot of playbooks built around it and it's not always intuitive, but I think if done right, it's super powerful. Scott, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out. Everyone should check out thoughtspot.com. Request a demo. If you're curious, talk to your CDO. It's, uh, it's really cool stuff. We'll be following along. Any final things to, uh, to plug or anything we missed? It's been a pleasure. No, I, I appreciate you having me and you gave the, the website. Check out ThoughtSpot. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.